You're listening to Robert Wright's Non-Zero Podcast. Hi, Mickey. Hey, Bob. What you got there? Can you hold it up so I can see it a little better? Yeah. Oh, it, that's it, your it, man, JD. And, your and, and notice the headline, Bob. Mm-hmm. Uh, There's this ad how, for sandals. See, that's not how, the thing. How oh, J- Vance. How, how, Vance made dim friends on rail safety. Democrat friends on rail safety. Right. I was I was so He's right about Palestine rail safety. Yes, I was so right about J.D. Vance. He's now getting strange new respect for cooperating with Democrats, including Sherrod Brown, your hero, on rail safety. They've introduced a bill. It's probably going to pass. Uh, all hail J.D. Vance. He's a good guy. Can I be oh. pardoned for not responding to that prompt? Um, uh, you can do whatever you want. Uh, it's Generally, it's a good news week, Bob, for Mickey. The second thing is uh, Ron DeSantis has had two positive developments. One negative development, which he's falling behind in the polls, but the positive developments are he has started to cauterize himself on the Social Security issue. He said, uh, uh, we're not going to mess. We're obviously not going to mess with Social Security. Mm-hmm. That seems pretty clear. I mean, they're all they're, all the oppo people are going to drag up his old votes. But he's allowed to change his mind on Social Security and he's allowed to bow to political reality and not screw around with Social Security if it, nobody wants to do it. Uh, the second thing is, uh, as you know, I was tearing my hair out, figuring out how he could that's, counter. That, that, that's been a growing challenge is, is, through your life. It's it's. It, well, I've been successful. I've been there's successful. Still, there's still been, some there. There's still some I've to been, tear I've out. I've been successful. Yeah. Tearing my hair out. So um, progress has been made. But um, uh, how 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 the Sanders could uh, could counter. Biden's industrial policy, populism, bringing semiconductors to America, et cetera, et cetera. And Biden has given him a gift on a silver platter because he's attaching all sorts of restrictions to his semiconductor aid mm-hmm. that are extraneous to the basic purpose of building semiconductor plants. Uh, they ha- they now have to provide you know adequate daycare, not just right. for the people who work there, for the people who build the plant. Uh, and and you know Greg Ip of the Wall Street Journal, a very smart guy, has a good column pointing out that industrial policy succeeds when it's narrowly focused on doing what it's supposed to do, not when Democrats lard on all sorts of things like adding provisions that fail yeah, in the you Build know Back Better plan. You know what, Mickey? First of all, I've I've just about gotten over that cauterized himself imagery, which uh, cauterized the issue. Yeah, or whatever. I would, but I anyway, was, you, what you said is cauterized himself on Social Security, okay. and okay. I don't know. So the next, whatever you said for the next five minutes, it's a blur. <laughs> I was just okay. Uh, I, I'm trying to get that image. I out don't of my apologize head. for using vivid imagery, Bob. It was vivid. That's, that's it was all too vivid. Um, why we make the big one? Secondly, quickly before we get back to industrial policy, on the kind of quasi Bob vindication front, you know, I told you I thought what Trump was doing. He goes to East Palestine while Biden's in Ukraine or roughly when Biden's in Ukraine did was something he could get some traction on. Uh, Well, first of all, uh, did you see the kind of ad he cut about Biden in Ukraine? Um, No, it was it was kind of disturbingly effective. It wasn't an ad per se, but it was taped, produced. It's him talking to the camera. And uh, and I can imagine that there's a constituency that'll 
eat that up. Uh, the other thing is, uh, I was. What did he say? Well, the usual shit. Biden is spending all your money on Ukraine. I don't remember the details. The point is, he's he's making a big deal of this. And uh, I, I don't mean he cut an East Palestine ad, although I still think we'll see one eventually. But um, the other thing is on the DMZ podcast, Matt Lewis seemed to think that the East Palestine thing was pretty big. I mean, he concedes it hasn't, it has started to fade, but he thinks it's a powerful thing. I mean, first of all, it didn't, didn't help Buttigieg any, but that's a different matter. Um, and uh, I don't know. I think Trump, well, I guess the disturbing thing about that kind of quasi ad I saw of Trump's is he looked like he hasn't lost it, you know? Did the ad mention East Palestine? Did it say, you know, Biden is spending it's, money on Ukraine instead of on Ohio? It's all a, it's all a blur. I don't know, because, okay. you know, social media, well, it's all coming at you. But well, I think you're right about it working for him because I was racking my brains trying to figure out why he had risen in the polls. And, you know, he was he was. He he in a head to head in it with DeSantis, he is he gained ground over the past month over the same poll taken a month ago. So that's some evidence. I figured what the hell was he doing in this past month to boost him? And that's probably it. Apparently he also was less bombastic and he was sort of down to earth in his visits to to Palestine and to a McDonald's, and he didn't have these big rallies where he just pontificated about how he really won the election. Mm -hmm. We sort of dropped the election denial thing. I think that's another mm -hmm. big part of his uh, his improvement. Yeah. Uh, so um, that would be a big deal if he drops election denial. Now, on industrial policy, I'm not here to defend everything Joe Biden uh, does, but I, I, I would say there's there's an obscure fact about these chip plants that may add a little weight to the argument that daycare is not a terrible idea. I mean, it turns out that uh, at least in Asia, where a lot of chip plants are, women are particularly good at doing the work that gets done in chip factories. There's a lot of, I guess, kind of fine grained uh, manual stuff. Uh, and there's a lot of women who work in those plants in America. Uh, it, you know, there's a lot of women who don't have husbands and may not be able to afford daycare. So it's not impossible that that this feature will increase like the hiring pool for these plants. Right, but why but but why isn't it in the interest of every company that starts a plant then to start a daycare center? You don't need the government to require it. Each each firm will capture virtually 100% of the benefits of having a childcare plan. Well, Mickey, why isn't why are they getting a subsidy in the first place? But what this basically does is slightly increase the subsidy. Are you against the subsidy or for it? And if you're for it, how do you know that exactly what it, what it was before they threw in the daycare is the right level of subsidy. They're, well, they're, they're not the, the, the daycare isn't a subsidy. It's a cost. No, they're it saying, is a subsidy. If, as you said, the alternative is the company paying for it. A subsidy is exactly what it is. No, they give they gave the company a hundred million dollars and they could either say you will build chips with its hundred million or you will build chi build chips and provide daycare. Uh, the government isn't paying for the daycare. The company's paying for that out of the subsidy doesn't get any extra subsidy so it it, it, it why why would oh, the okay. government require well, so, it to do something okay. <laughs> it ordinarily wouldn't do the company is being very rational okay so I, in I, effect I, I, oh wait i yeah. saw this i recently saw a film uh american factory it's actually done by the obamas it's on netflix it's very good mm -hmm. it's about a glass factory in uh in, a, a chinese company 
sets up a glass factory in Ohio, uh, and uh, and it contrasts how efficient the plant is in China with how slow the workers are in Ohio. So that's part of it. So mm -hmm. the companies are being quite rational to uh, to uh, offshore the production, and you're giving them a subsidy because you want them to bring it back here. That's yeah, no, I, I mean, you're right. I was wrong about that. But I guess now my question is just how do you know that? So so actually, in a certain sense, the subsidy is slightly less than it was right. uh, if they're demanding companies pay for this. But how do you know that's not the right level? I, I just kind of mean like once you're in subsidy land, it's a pretty it's a pretty blunt instrument. Um, right. But I, 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 there are worse things. I'm just saying there are much worse things you, you could require a company that makes a chip. It, it, would, oh, sure. it would make a it would make a lot less sense if if you know uh, this was like for construction workers and I take your point that it also is for the construction workers well, during the construction of the plant. Well, there, there 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 are um, there are other other requirements too. Some of them are actually written into the law. They yeah. can't use the money to buy, for stock buybacks and very controversial issue. Warren Buffett's letter is devoted in part to. Defending stock buybacks, why shouldn't a company return the money to the shareholders when it doesn't see a means of uh, investing it wisely in itself? Why do they have to build empires yeah. in their own firms? So that it, it, it's that's controversial. There, it, it it basically requires a union and wage. Does it actually require a union? I don't know, but yeah. that's like one. The government's one step away from requiring a union. Another uh, another takeaway from this film, American Factory, is unions could really fuck things up. Uh, in the end, the firm becomes profitable by doing all sorts of things that a union would never allow. Like, okay. yeah. uh, so, um, uh, it's, uh, you know, it, 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 it at, at uh, some point, the government, a, at some point, the government meddles so much that it becomes very counterproductive. And, and Greg Epp goes into a long list of, uh, attempts at industrial policy where the firms have just said, fuck you. We're not taking your money. You, you put mm -hmm. on too many strings. Uh, there was a there, there's a mm -hmm. Boeing Boeing once did that the uh, with the uh, I think with the COVID with oh, sorry with the Obama bailout the, the the banks got out from under it as quickly as they could not, not, that's not necessarily a bad thing but if you really want to subsidize something uh, you know at some point you have to get takers and there are other countries around the globe that are also subsidizing their semiconductor plants there's no reason why they all have to come no, here I'm not I'm not I'm not I'm not I'm not okay. don't. You, you have nobody to persuade here. I'm not okay. defending the overall thing. I okay. made a very minor point that okay. th there are a lot of apparently women who wind up working at these yeah. factories. No. We do have a situation where not having childcare could be a problem. And yeah. and that's right. it. Anyway, I, I can DeSantis latch onto this uh, and make it an issue. I don't know. It seems maybe second order. If they were requiring equity or requiring proportional, you know, hiring of of different ethnicities, he could easily make an issue of it, but I don't think they've done that yet. No, I mean, uh, no, I mean, who's going to complain about this? Old school Republicans are going to complain about it. The ones who who didn't vote for Trump, you know, the, who, who, the ones he's not competing with Trump for are the ones who complain about stuff like this. Um, uh, not not well, the workers. The Senate's going to be an old Republican or a new Republican. Yeah. Um, uh, anyway. But, uh, so, I mean, speaking of, uh, well, I was going to say speaking of China, um, but I guess I won't. I mean, I, I could do my complaint about Anthony Blinken. L let me do a little complaint about Anthony Blinken. Sure. Uh, like, 
as of last week, he was making this huge fuss uh, that China might arm Russia and he didn't want them to. And he was doing it in this weird way of going around and, con and continuing to say it publicly. Now, standard reckoning is that that runs the risk of making China less likely to do what you want because it'll look like they're caving to your demands once you make the demand publicly. And I mean, he made them and made them and made them everywhere. Uh, and then, uh, like yesterday or something, uh, they levied a whole bunch of new sanctions on China for some kind of trade with Iran that may be conduct con connected to Iran's military uh, because Iran is, you know, selling drones to Russia or something. And it just it just reminds me that, you know, the, the Biden administration foreign policy really has one of the hallmarks of neoconservatism. All sticks, no carrots. And uh, it's just I mean, good luck. I, I look, I think there, there are a lot of reasons China is not going to probably send weapons to Russia. So it'll probably work out fine. But it's Why? Uh, what? Why would they not do that? Well, I think. uh and look, I mean, I mean, it can make sense to make threats publicly because it, the, the the way it can make sense is if you worry that people will doubt your credibility, the people you're making the threats to will doubt your credibility. You know, right. well, once you say in public that there will be hell to pay if they defy your will, that makes this threat more credible because you'll lose face if you don't follow through on the threat. Right. So there are reasons you could do it. Maybe that's what's going on. I mean, I, I, I always worry uh, with the Biden administration, that it's actually much more about domestic consumption of the message, and that can get in the way of uh, of getting your work done on foreign policy. In fact, there was another example, like uh, Blinken at some uh, meeting, I guess G20 or something, uh, just spoke on the sidelines for 10 minutes with his counterpart from Russia. And first of all, why only 10 minutes? I mean, what would it hurt to actually have an extended conversation? But anyway, well, maybe he, Lavrov, maybe Lavrov didn't want to have an extended conversation. Maybe, but he was willing to do ten minutes anyway. Then, by uh, uh, Blinken emerges and says, uh, "Here's what I did in the ten minutes. Um, I, I, I urged them to rethink their their suspension of the nuclear arms treaty. Oh yeah, that'll happen. That'll happen. And and I also told them." They need to withdraw from Ukraine. It was shit like that. It was just crazy shit. Like, like, is this really what you spent your time talking about? Yeah, I, don't, a bunch I, of, I, I mean, I don't know why they have to do all this stuff for public consumption. It's 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 they're going to be judged. They're going to be judged by the results, you know, yeah, by election but, day. And then the hilarious thing is whoever this vacuous NPR correspondent was who was covering this says after reporting all this says, Secretary of State Blinken wanted to show that the lines of communication are still open. He's keeping the lines of communication open. Yes, yeah, so he can make a bunch of demands that there's no <laughs> way they're going to comply with. Well, he, he, he yeah, I mean, Lavrov seems smart enough to know that that's all for show, and we don't know what he really said. And presumably, he can offer uh, carrots in private, right? He could, he could, but if we he, went, if he, <laughs> we, we went easy on the balloon. Um, we didn't make a fuss right. about the balloon after no, we, we only after sanctioned. We only sanctioned like eight Chinese companies that may or may not be balloon related before we even recovered the fucking balloon, shot down a bunch of things that turned out not to be Chinese balloons and, and canceled a visit and so on. Um, they're, 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 while we're on China, there are two 
Chinese-related uh, bits of news, the most important, which is Nick Ampersand has a piece in the Post about how the Chinese birth rate is plummeting. And, and, and it, it's really striking. It's not just like it went down 10%. It went down 50% in six years. Yeah. It cut in half, and it's still going down. So why does that happen? I mean, uh, Eberstadt says this, this corresponds to Xi's rule, and it's basically a vote of no confidence in Xi. People are depressed. Uh, they don't like the future they have. But, of course, declining birth rates all around the world are a product of, of abundance and success and prosperity. So I don't know quite know why you can immediately leap to the conclusion it's because they're depressed as, as opposed to because they feel rich. But anyway, that's a big deal. Uh, yeah. And, and the second thing, which is not such a big deal except to me, is that Semaphore, my favorite publication, yeah, has cut some sort of deal with some Chinese think tank or commission they've put together, which allegedly, according to Daily Caller, is filled with soft on China uh, experts. But I, uh, I have no idea who's a soft on China expert. So I would be loath to condemn Semaphore without really knowing the truth there. Well, then let me do that. Uh, I mentioned last week, although I think it was mainly in the parent room, that uh, they hired as their like chief national security guy who does their national security uh, letter this, um, you know, somewhat disgraced uh, Wall Street Journal reporter uh, who was, um, you know, fired by the journal because he was in, you know, doing something uh, that wasn't uh, wasn't appropriate with some. Iranian exile, rich guy, and they found somebody exposed the emails and so on. And he's he's hardcore anti-Iran, as I told you in the parrot room last week. In fact, he spent his interim between getting getting fired and getting hired by Ben Smith um, working at a at a at a think tank uh, that uh, at the Washington Institute, which which is, you know, well, not pro-Iran, let's just say. Um, and. Uh, so there, there's that, but but the big the bigger news on Iran is uh, that that was that was segue that was cheap shot segue. Okay. Now now what we're segueing to, um, you know I I mean first of all you know Israel's a mess as you may have. Wait, we were transferring to Iran. We're, we're leaving Semaphore behind. Well, I'm just we're saying Semaphore hired a hardcore oh. anti. I mean, his coverage at the Journal had been noted for its consistent oh, anti-Iran time. I thought I was looking forward to you condemning Semaphore for hiring a bunch of pro-China hacks, but you don't know that for sure. I do not know that for sure, uh, and uh, I would be less opposed to that because exactly because Even, uh, you know a, a strong pro-China bias in American discourse is not exactly something that exists and is needed correction, right? I mean, it's like we're heading into a cold war. It doesn't uh, hurt to have one publication that's not cheering us on if that's what Simba turns, turns out. Right now, the, the conventional wisdom is that everybody hates China and it's the new bipartisan consensus. That's what I'm yeah. saying. That's what I'm saying. So, okay. so it's okay. not like under Iran. It's not like having, you know, some minor force count, uh, countervailing right. that is, is right. a tragedy. Um, so, Iran, you know, I had been thinking when you look at everything that is afflicting Israel at the moment. So, okay, Bibi Netanyahu who has this weird coalition with these very extremist right-wing elements, um, uh, is they're trying to uh, pass legislation that would rein in the judiciary. Um, and the judiciary, I, I mean, 
he seems to be doing it largely to keep himself out of jail because he's under indictment. And I, I don't know if the trial is going on. There's that. But also the judiciary has often been a check on harsh uh, policies toward the Palestinians. He'd like to be free of that. And some of the nut jobs in his coalition would equally likely to be free of that. You know, the guy who's uh, director, what is it, is uh, minister of national security, which I think is like minister of the interior, I think like federal police and stuff. Anyway, he's very relevant to the occupation of the West Bank. And until he came in, got into politics and, and he realized this would be ill-advised, he had a portrait in his living room of uh, Baruch Goldstein. Is that his name? Does that name ring a bell? The guy who killed Rabin? No, Perez, the guy Perez, who killed a, 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 a dozen or two dozen Palestinians oh, while they were worshiping guy, okay. with, a, with a machine gun. Okay, the current minister of national security in Israel had a portrait of this guy in his living room. And uh, and and that's and there's another guy who's a finance minister who's equally uh, who's equally nutty, who just uh, just this week endorsed, said that there was a Palestinian town that should, quote, be wiped out. Now, this was after settlers tried to wipe it out. They set like 30 houses on fire and 100 cars on fire or, or something. And I, and I think one Palestinian died. And he said, basically said, you know, settlers shouldn't do this. The government should do it. I mean, that's is really like basically the idea. OK, so you got this extreme coalition. The West Bank is like there. It's really bad news. There's a cycle of violence. And, you know, they'll both sides will tell you the other one started it. And, and it just kind of goes on and on. So, you know, uh, you know, a raid will kill some militants and also some innocent 70 year old bystander. And then. Uh, in retaliation, they'll kill some Israelis, either in Israel or settlers or whatever, and then settlers will go on a pogrom or and kill. And so, but it's really reaching alarming levels. Okay, so you got you got Bibi's domestic situation uh, in Israel proper is a mess because uh, in opposition to his this this uh, initiative to constrain the judiciary. They're having these massive demonstrations, as you've probably seen on TV, like 100,000 people in the streets. So he faces that. The West Bank is, is, is you know, we may well be heading into a third intifada that's, uh, that's very violent, unlike the first one, and probably violent in a different way than the second one, is my guess. But anyway, yeah. The, uh, well, well, um, two I'm getting things. to Iran, by the way, but go ahead. Okay. Two things. Um, first, uh, Ehud Barak gave a speech. If I remember how it was described, this may be in this Walter Russell Mead article, which says that we're quite close to having a war in the Middle East. But uh, uh, Barack said, well, the, the Knesset is going to pass this law. The judiciary is going to overrule it. And then it's just a question of which of the four, who who is backed by the armed forces and the police and the other four big powers in government. So it's like the law of the jungle there. It's like well, who backs the coup? Do the armed forces back the judiciary or do they back Bibi? Uh, that's really weird. For well, there's, there's no constitution. It's like England. They don't yeah. have a constitution. Yeah. Okay. And that's part of the issue. And and the the judiciary, apparently, at some point, the Supreme Court did a kind of a Marbury versus Madison type thing where they right. ruled in a way that elevated their stature. Right, right. And so you're right. In the absence of a constitution... Um, it's, it could get ugly. I, I think the, I thought the conventional wisdom was that if the let 
see, it, it apparently gets back to there's something called the parliament can pass something called a basic law. And uh, there was a basic law that affirmed uh, the importance of human rights and stuff or something. And I think this this Marbury Madison verse uh, type thing involved the the, uh, the Supreme Court saying that that basic law was in some respects tantamount to a constitution. But I think there are people that are saying that, like, look, if the parliament passed the basic law, the parliament can do, you know, the Knesset can. Uh, can unpass it or something. I, I don't know. I, right. I don't, I, I've definitely exceeded right. my expertise, right. okay. but and the, 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 it's messy. And the second thing, which is, is your transition to Iran, is that uh, Mead says that, uh, you know, Israel's always, uh, Iran is closer to a nuclear weapon. And uh, what what might trigger an Israeli strike is not, is the Russians giving them more defenses against an air raid. So, if Russia starts to give them more defenses, the Israelis may say, we better do the raid now before they install these defenses when we can get in and do our job. Uh, the Russians don't have to give them anything very sophisticated. Yeah. Uh, and that that might provoke, you know, an Israeli strike. I'm curious whether Walter Russell Meade, like two years ago, was making the comparable argument about us uh, arming Ukraine and doing more and more uh, coordinated NATO exercises with the Ukrainian army and suggesting that maybe this would have the unfortunate effect of, uh, of pushing uh, Putin into a decision to invade. But I digress. It's the same logic. It could happen. Um, I don't I don't know what he wrote back, back then, actually. I but. doubt it was that. Uh, the... the um, I, I, one one other thing about the ju just about the judiciary issue in in Israel. Remember, because it's a parliamentary system, it's not like they really now have three branches of government, and one of them would be weakened. In a parliamentary system, the executive branch and the legislative branch are essentially the same. You have to control the legislative branch to be in the executive seat. So it really would be a decisive swing of power. And again, this is a very this is an extremist uh, coalition. I mean, look, Bibi himself, to my, uh, I would say, is is uh, far right, but he's a relatively liberal guy in the coalition he's assembled. Anyway, what I would, the connection I was going to make to to Iran was, you know, naturally, I look at Bibi in a situation like this. He's got all these domestic troubles. You're reading that Iran is enriching uranium to higher. Uh, higher and higher levels. It's not yet weapons grade. And and even if it was, you know, Bill Burns, the CIA says it would still be another couple of years before they'd have the actual bomb on a missile ready to go, whatever. But, um, but uh, I, you know, I thought, of course, wag the dog. This BB needs a war right now. And, and on top of that, uh, our, the Biden administration, again, which is just, just shockingly hawkish, I'm increasingly seeing it like uh, they did the unprecedented thing of saying Israel can do whatever they want with Iran and we will have their back. The The ambassador to Israel said that. Uh, and so we've given them the green light, at least publicly, unless we're telling them something else privately. In any event, no previous administration had gone quite that far publicly. So it seems to me the way is paved for a, you know, a politically opportunistic uh, attack on Iran. Now, that doesn't shock us because Bob is always saying things like that. But what I heard on a podcast two days ago was David Sanger saying the same thing. He even says 
it's likely, he worries, that BB to distract from this domestic stuff is going to launch, uh, is going to start a war with Iran. So if now, a, if, if there's a strike, does it necessarily mean a wide war? Or no, it, it doesn't. I mean, Iran has always been incredibly restrained. Uh, uh, not incredibly. I mean, intelligently restrained, probably, because uh, they know they're they're outgunned, ultimately. Uh, but they've, they've always, you know, and this this gets back to the idea that that uh, Iran is this crazy destabilizing state. They've always been very calculated in the way they handle these things. I mean, if you remember the way they responded to Trump's assassination of Soleimani, um, it was like they said, well, we got to do something. We don't want to force Trump into a war. I mean, I don't I didn't have I wasn't privy to the conversations, but then. They launched these ballistic missiles that completely wiped out the barracks of American soldiers in Iraq, but alerted the Americans via the Iraqis so they could so they could evacuate the barracks. I mean, that's that's it's not totally risk averse, but it's a pretty smart way to handle a situation without well, I, starting a war. I thought that that just bought them time while they worked on something more uh, decisive. But um well, well, this, happened, was, this was years ago. Well, well like, I guess that well, uh, yeah. It seems to me there was something that was supposed to be a revenge for Soleimani that happened, but I forget what it was. Well, I'll tell you what scares me. This is a total rumor. I don't know where it came from. Uh, is somebody saying that uh, Iran, um, this is complete hearsay. I, I, I don't even know what the ultimate source is, uh, but... Um, that Iran, that, that the retaliation would be against, uh, you know, diaspora Jews. Now, decades ago, you know, a synagogue in, in uh, Argentina, I guess, was blown up by Hezbollah. It, it's common in American discourse to say Iran did that. Actually, Hezbollah did it in pretty clear retaliation for Israel assassinating a, a Hezbollah guy. And we don't know whether Hezbollah cleared it with Iran or uh, or what. But anyway, that's that's a horrible thing. Apparently, Iran doesn't have the kind of assets inside Israel that can retaliate there, uh, which which Israel has inside of Iran um, and, and is for that, you know, and, and kills people with. Um, so that's what we're that's that would be uh, in a way the worst, the worst of all outcomes. Um, it would not be a good cycle that 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 uh, started, but um, I agree. Uh, so anyway, is is that that's um uh that, that's around. So anyway, Maybe. when David Sanger and I agree, you can say that all across the ideological spectrum, people are saying this thing. Okay. Um, I have I have two more topics. On my scorecard, unless you want to fill us in on what's happening in Ukraine, I do at uh, some point. But go ahead, your turn. My uh, uh, my Twitter feed is 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 the my uh, my impressions are asymptotically approaching zero. So I now no longer attack people because when I attack people, the only people that read it will be the people I attack. <laughs> what's the point of that? So nobody's reading my tweets. My tweets are are, are very useful as notes to myself what I'm thinking at any given moment, and then maybe I can go through them later and and uh, do something productive with them, like uh, put them on my sub stack. But uh, 
it's uh, I, I I don't think I'm the only person on Twitter who feels like deflated because uh, you know they, they 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 seem to be much diminished. Uh, and maybe that's all there was. Maybe all my uh, you know all my readers were porn bots. I sort of like them, but uh, but they seem to be gone. The, por- even the porn, porn bots. The, the porn bots have deserted you. Even the porn bots have left. So it's it's uh it's depressing. I want I would thought Elon would have given me back my porn. Well, bots. the good news uh, is I think we're on the verge of a wave of AI porn bots where it won't be pictures of real people. It won't be real people talking. But you know what's the difference? Yeah. I uh, and it just it just struck home to me how AI is going to put the New York Times out of business. I, I mean, you could you you type in what's happening in Iran. And they will write you two, three paragraphs of what's happening in Iran mm-hmm. uh, for free, and the New York Times charges for it. So uh, they might even incorporate what David Sanger said to somebody at you know somewhere. Uh, and and so I guess until Google starts charging for its AI search, and you can see them charging for better and better versions of it, the New York Times is in trouble. No, uh, that's a good question. Um... I, you know, it's, yeah, this is going to be a completely huge disruptive wave. I mean, you know, this, uh, some science fiction periodical had to quit accepting submissions because they were getting so many that were AI generated or AI generated and tweaked. I mean, um, it's, uh, you know, the latest news is, uh, what's, uh, you know, snap, snapchat, uh, is integrating an AI chat thing in their service, and people are are saying, "Well, I hope it'll will not exert a bad influence on our teenagers." Well, we'll see. I mean, I guess we're going to find out. Um, Facebook said they're they will soon be doing something or other. Uh, but wait, so your model, your specific model is is just uh, AI generated journalism, basically. Yeah, AI generates the news and it does it completely up to date. So it's like, you know, it it generates it anew every time you put in a request. So, uh, you know, it'll tell you what happened in Iran up to 10 minutes ago, whereas the Times, you know, always has some kind of lag. It used to have a day. Well, I mean, you already have the Google News aggregator does a pretty good job of that. The aggregation is done algorithmically, even though the, the stories are generated by humans, apparently. Um, that's already, if you want up to date, the, the times is not the place to go for up to date. I mean, a, a, a good Twitter feed is better. Uh, but, right. um, and I guess yeah. if, if, if there's no journalism, then the AI won't have anything to, to feed off of, but go ahead. You mean no text to train itself on? If David Sanger isn't reporting on Iran, how can the AI rip off what David Sanger says and, and regurgitate it to you? Somebody has to actually find out what's going on in Iran. Yeah, but actually, there's probably, if you really identify your good sources on Twitter, although a number of them are actually journalists who are making money at their journalism job uh, and can't make a living independently on Twitter. But, um, you know, you could, uh, you could, look, my, 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 uh, my Ukraine war list is just head and shoulders above the New York Times, both in terms of finding out what's actually going on and in terms of finding it out fast. Um, a classic example is the New York Times had this big story on some tank battle that was won by the Ukrainians. It wasn't clear to me when this tank battle happened. It was just sort of... Is this within a, the last couple of weeks? 
couple of I don't know the, the, the story was like two days ago. That may have been another Vuladar thing, but I think it was. Good, this is a perfect it example. Was it was Vuladar. Well, it was a perfect yeah. example. Like if you're if you're on Twitter on my list, you would have seen Michael Kaufman say tank battle is a mischaracterization of what's going on in Vuladar. What's happening is the Russian tanks come in to a minefield. They hit a mine. They stop. The Ukrainians hit them with shoulder fired missiles and artillery and they retreat. It's not a tank battle. This is what I mean. I mean, the, the, right. the, you know, the, the regular newspapers just totally suck in their Ukraine coverage. And it's it's I don't you know, it's a it's a it's a it's a resource problem. You, you know, you can't it's hard to beat the collective intelligence of Twitter. Um, yeah. But anyway, on the. Yeah. So should we talk Ukraine briefly? Yeah. And um, I have one issue to bring up. About Ukraine? Yeah. Michael McFall said we should threaten Crimea because if Putin feels Crimea is, is going to go down, he will cut a deal. And the alternative, of course, is that he will escalate. So I don't know quite know why McFall well, knows the answer to that. Well, actually, I think that was also asserted that that view was also, I think, attributed to somebody in the to the administration weeks ago when it was reported that we now were kind of OK with U Ukraine doing strikes in Crimea, but not not with them like trying to take Crimea, but with them trying to bring Russia to the table. So that meme has been out there. Um, uh, it's okay, not, in game theory right. terms, it's not impossible. It's just that it's kind of it's kind of uh, fraught with peril. I mean, anyway, at the moment, uh, Ukraine's got bigger problems on their hands. Uh, okay. First of all, Bakhmut seems to be finally in the process of actually falling. Although uh, it may be hard for it to, <laughs> you know, some Ukraine. Well, where where to begin? Uh, so it's been getting more and more encircled and people have been saying for really weeks, like when are the Ukrainians going to withdraw? There's now one paved road out of there. And once the Russians getting closer and closer to that, well, apparently yesterday the Russians blew up the bridge in Western Ukraine. That is that, that is that road. So as of now, I don't think there's a way to get heavy equipment uh, out of uh, out of Bakhmut, uh, like you know, armored personnel carriers, tank. I don't know how much stuff is in there, uh, but it, it's not such a daunting river that that guys couldn't get across it and, and walk home. But uh, they're cutting it pretty close. Uh, meanwhile, Ukraine has blown up bridges on a waterway that runs through the middle of the city. They've apparently retreated from eastern to western Bakhmut. Um, but I think we may see Ukrainian command take some heat, depending on how this plays out. Uh, they could wind up getting a lot of guys captured and killed who didn't have to to get captured well, and killed. Um, why is Bakhmut so important? Well, because they both decided to make it important. I mean, it's right. not nothing because it is, uh, you know, it, it, it you go due west from there and you you hit the last two big cities that Russia hasn't taken in the Donbass. They've taken all okay. the big cities in Luhansk, in Luhansk, in Donetsk. There's these two cities, Kramatorsk and uh, something else. Okay. Start, starts with S. Um, and it's on the way. To, so it's not nothing. But at the same time, the Michael Kaufmans of the world have been saying it's not intrinsically a huge deal. I mean, there is a line of defense 
that goes through there. It's just that there's another line of defense before the two cities. So people think you can sustain losing it, but it's not nothing. Anyway, it became a big deal because it became a big deal and they were both right. throwing huge human right. it's resources like, it's into like, it. Why, why is Gettysburg so important? Well, yeah, because of its strategic significance. But yeah, and because, I mean, both sides say they're exhausting the other. Um, you know, I, I had said weeks ago, it seems kind of crazy to be trading actual Ukrainian soldiers for Russian uh, Russian convicted felons who just came out of Princeton, uh, out of right. <laughs> out of prison <laughs> to be uh, to be thrown, you know, to be cannon fodder. But I did I did think today maybe. If, if if there's a sense in which it's smart for Ukraine to expend a lot of resources killing those guys, it is because um, there's probably a lot of prisoners in Russia, and you would like word to get back to the prisons that, hey, you know all those right. guys who went off to fight? They're all dead now, okay? Right. So don't make that choice. And, and I've heard that word is getting back to prison. So there's that. Meanwhile, uh, if you look, you know, somebody published a map along the whole uh, battle line where uh, land has changed hands over over the last two months, January, February. And it's it's virtually all in favor of Russia. It's like 95%. It isn't a huge quantity of land, but the point is Ukraine is completely playing defense. A couple of, of little parcels of land Ukraine has gained in the South, but they're completely playing defense. Uh, I guess there's reason to hope that the uh, the Russian military will exhaust itself. Michael Kaufman, I think, thinks so. And he was right about the same thing this summer when he said the Russians can't keep this up forever. Um, uh, so maybe they will run out of steam. The, the, you know, the Ukrainian plan is they gather these new arms that are coming in, especially in the way of armored vehicles, and uh, launch this big offensive in the south. After the, uh, I guess after the muddy season, which apparently is already upon us um, in some parts of Ukraine, and uh, so we'll see. The, the the last thing is, there's been a lot of, there's been some crazy stuff going on in Russia. I mean, Ukraine, they they, they did a bunch of drone attacks that seem to have almost entirely failed. I don't know if they were from Ukraine or from within Russia, uh, but like five attacks and then yesterday um these guys crossed the border from ukraine who call themselves it's kind of like the akhmad chalabis of this war it's like these are the guys who they, of russian i guess i guess they're russians but in ukraine and they style themselves as like the government ex in exile or the guys who are going to start the revolution or something so they cross the border and according to the russians killed a couple of civilians i did see video of a shot up seemingly civilian car with a body in it. Wait, they um, think that they think they're going to start the new government of Russia or of Ukraine? No, Russia. They they're going to start oh, okay. the revolution in Russia. I mean, it seems to be this uh, okay. completely deluded guy. Right. One question is, did this have the sanction of the Ukrainian armed forces? He seems to have had some past connection with the armed forces. But anyway, this is I mean, e even the people who aren't like me and are always thinking always on the lookout for things we do that will play into Putin's hands propaganda wise are saying this plays into Putin's hands propaganda wise. Like it's like this is exactly what he wants is like, yes, the homeland is under threat, 
you know, from from this little bullshit pen prick that accomplished nothing. Right. And uh, so, uh, I guess that's all. I don't okay. know. Okay. Well, thank uh, you. And as it happens, our alarm is going off, Mickey. Okay. Well. Uh, but if you uh, if you have more to say, I don't have more to say about Ukraine. I just said I, I wanted to draw attention to this uh, this uh, article by Tom Nichols, who argues uh, Americans need to think very hard about what happens if Russia wins, especially with an assist from the Chinese. They will be living in a North American redoubt. The freedom of movement Americans take for granted of goods, people, money, and even ideas would shrink. It just seems to me that's a little exaggerated. I mean, even at the height of Cold War, we could fly to Paris. Is he saying you could? You're not going to be able to fly to Paris now because uh, if Russia if Russia wins in Ukraine, I mean, Russia used to own own Ukraine. I mean, give me a break. You know, Mickey. In the past, in my newsletter, the Non-Zero newsletter. I've sometimes been hard on Tom Nichols, and I just like to take this opportunity to say I don't regret it. Um, it's it's like, what is he even talking about? I mean, first of all, yeah, we we may be moving into a Cold War when there is a lot more restrict where you can't go, can't go to China, can't do much business with China, but we seem to be leading the way to that world. I mean, if anybody is is uh, you know launching a, a kind of techno economic war right now, you know, it's us. Uh, and and if he didn't like it, he should talk to Joe Biden. It's it's not going to be the Russians who do it. Uh, that just seems like crazy talk. I don't even know what he has in mind. And what, uh, I don't know either. About? I mean, I guess he's saying American businessmen won't be able to go do business in, you know, in the in Eastern Europe or something. I don't know. In, in or in, that's or crazy in, too. Or in I mean, I mean yeah. maybe I he thinks know. Russia will somehow magically uh, go beyond Ukraine and take all of Eastern Europe. Uh, well, yeah. which it has no plans to do and couldn't one, do if it wanted. One thing that happened, I don't know what the significance is, that Serbia and Kosovo agreed to the EU's terms to normalize relations, which I assume is a very good sign in terms of avoiding a war in Kosovo. But maybe I'm wrong. Uh, Serbia and Kosovo both? Yeah. Yeah, I, I caught the headline, but didn't uh, didn't ponder it. That won't make Russia happy if Serbia does it. I will tell you that. Huh. Um, so, Why what? Why not? Well, that that's their Slavic brothers. I mean, and there has and 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 I would, I, I would question whether that. Well, I don't know. I don't know how much popular support that would that would have. There is a lot of sympathy, I think, for Russia and Serbia. Um, and of course, one of the things that most pissed Russia off was when we right. bombed. Uh, uh right. Serbia in in 99 um and uh so I I but I I I I know nothing I know nothing yeah. um okay so th things we could talk about in the pair room uh okay. I can probably think of a little more about Ukraine um Scott Adams got canceled like actually canceled yeah I didn't uh, read I I I I Ignored that controversy, so you could. I am deeply conversant. This is the Dilbert cartoonist, former Dilbert cartoonist, who whose cartoon I assume will soon be found on Substack. Can't be found in the newspapers it used to appear in. Um, um, uh, the the um, there's a big debate on why kids are so depressed. Mm -hmm. Might be worth going into. Uh, mm -hmm. Eddie Glacius, Ross Douthat, 
and others have weighed in. So, so, um, has, so has Alice from Queens. She has an insight I'll be sharing in the parent room. Okay. Uh, there is uh, the case over the student loan forgiveness plan that Biden uh, declared. Uh, it's before the Supreme Court. Conservatives would like to toss to say that Biden overstepped his grounds. Uh, I'm not sure he did. And there are a couple of interesting things to say about it. Uh, although I'm generally not interested in the student loan forgiveness issue. Uh, there's, uh, they're making AI out of human brain cells. Now, you're not going to tell me that that doesn't achieve consciousness. And they have artificial intelligence that's actually made with the same brain cells that we have. Uh, that may be the item that we were thinking about putting in today's non-Nero newsletter, and I vetoed on grounds that it seemed like bullshit, but it may not be. You can you can uh, draw my attention to what you're talking about. Um, uh, uh, there's a question of, should we all buy books because all the online books are going to be adulterated by PC sensitivity uh, editors? Uh, and uh, I have... Uh, Anyway, I want to talk about, I, I want to recommend this movie, American Factory, that I've already recommended. Uh, and uh, and I finally saw the end of uh, Goodbye, uh, The Long Goodbye. So there you go. Oh, we can discuss that. Well, that's excellent. Um, and and I, I dare you to name the, the, the Republican candidate who Mark Halpern is pushing. I have no reveal, idea. Can, is it a the name in the paragraph. Is it a particular um, region that I should be thinking about if I'm going to guess the answer to that? Well, if I gave you the region, you would get the, guess the answer, yes. Well, that's I want to guess the answer, yeah. so I want the region. It's somebody who, who Roald Dahl would describe as, and under the new sensitivity rules, as large. Someone who, who he... Yeah, would... under the old sensitivity rules, a non-sensitivity Chris Christie, would, I'm not saying <laughs> your bunny. Your bunny has a good nose, but I'm not saying. Uh, okay. Um, uh, also, by the way, oh well, Energy Department now thinks uh, lab leak, and we can talk about that. That lab uh, more likely than than any other. Uh, it's the more likely bet uh, for COVID origins. Uh, yeah, we can uh, we can talk a little more about AI. I, I want to complain a little more about Elon Musk. Uh, and I think some, I guess the CIA said, oh, yeah. I, yeah. I learned the real story behind what was supposedly the real story behind Elon Musk's tweets suddenly appearing on everybody's feed. And you're going to share so, that with us. I will share that with you. And dispel misconceptions that have been spread by people like me. Good. I welcome that. Um. And I guess that's about it. So, um, patreon.com slash parrot room. We will uh, see people there shortly. Okay, see you there.